Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP, and be sure to check out their annual plans for savings of up to 20% off. This week on TWIP, is Apple going big brother with remote camera control patents? NASA takes a Nikon to space and leaves it there and are still cameras on their deathbed it's saturday june 11 2011 and this is quick Welcome back to TWIP, your weekly dosage of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show are a whole gaggle of people. Mr. Alex Lindsay, Tristan Hall, Sarah France, and Aaron Mailer. Hey, guys. Hi. Look at that. This is a crowd. This is like a party we have going on here. I'm I'm excited. And Skype is holding up. This is, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is amazing. Uh, before we jump in, though, um, I'm glad that Alex and Aaron are on the show because both of you guys were, well, Aaron, you were on the West Coast specifically to visit folks in WWDC and all that stuff. And Alex, you were covering it for MacBreak Weekly and all that, right? So yep. just want to chat a little bit briefly about iCloud um, and continue the, the speculative discussion we had last episode. Now that we have definitive kind of, we know what, the, what it is. PhotoStream and the camera app enhancements. What do they mean to us? Well, I think that the you know the, the camera app, all of this stuff is evolutionary. I think that it's it's not you know I, I talked a little bit about this on the live stream, but it's it's not it's not a revolution uh, as, as far as the quality goes, but it is very evolutionary and um, and and a lot of good stuff. <laughs> One of the things that was uh, interesting is is they uh, Apple has. Um, uh, done a couple things that were a big complaint that a lot of people had about the iPhone. Uh, so a lot of this, of course, is, is connected to the iPhone uh, and iCloud. But but essentially, um, they added the shutter button. So there were lots of people who were hacking the iPhone so that you could use your volume up to take a shutter. Uh, and Apple kept on uh, taking those applications off the App Store mm. uh, and not allowing people to do that. Apple is very can be very modal about that. They, they don't want you to start using the buttons for lots of other things. Uh, it it turns out it looks like they've kind of learned from how popular those features were and added them to the camera. So now you'll be able to treat your, your iPhone a little bit more like a camera by being able to just hit that shutter button to, uh, to take a picture. Also, one of the other things that a lot of people complain about is, uh, is dealing with um, being able to try to take a photo really quickly. So let's say you pull out your iPhone, your kids are doing something great, and you, now you have to unlock it, you have to type in the code, uh, and then you have to hit the camera, and then you have to wait you know, you can almost go out and get a coffee until the camera's ready mm-hmm, to actually mm-hmm. shoot something. And, and wait. So, and wait and wait and wait. And, uh, and so what they've done is, is uh, made it so that, A, you can take photos without unlocking your camera. Now, you can't see anything else. You can't see other photos. You can't see other parts of the phone. But you can quickly just hit a button and uh, take a photo of, of whatever you want, and it'll go, it'll go into, uh, uh, into your library. 
the other thing is is that it's and, and what I think is happening is, is also the camera pops up and it's 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 available much faster or at least that's what they claim we we don't have it yet. Uh, but one of the things about that is that it I think that what's happening is it's not trying to scan your entire photo library. A lot of us who have never really cleared our iPhones that use our iPhone kind of as a visual memory pad, mm-hmm. uh, like me, mm-hmm. um, have thousands of photos. And I think that what one of the things that slows these cameras down, the camera app, is that it's trying to go through all those photos before it gives you the camera. Now what they're doing, it appears, is to um, do a lot more uh, focus on, on just making sure the camera's ready to shoot as fast as possible, and then we'll get to those photos whenever we can. Um, you know, there's grid lines, pinch to zoom gestures, um, single tap focus and exposure locks. So you can, mm-hmm. you know, lock something to an exposure and then reframe. And uh, you well, know, we had and, a lot of that stuff already, like in camera plus do is, is Apple, yeah. Apple's playing catch up. Cause I'm still going to use camera plus for a lot of my iPhone photography. Right. Yeah. I don't know if this is necessarily a replacement for all of that. I think a lot of people want this stuff built in as much as they can. I mean, Apple's always going to just keep on progressing. Uh, I, I don't think it replaces a lot of the specialized, um, uh, tools like Camera Plus and some of the other tools that are out there, but it definitely gives the average person who buys an iPhone uh, and just has whatever camera pops in a better experience. I think yeah. that is, um, I think that's the important piece of that. Uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see whether the the volume up button is available to all the applications, not just the camera application. I'm assuming that it will be. Yeah, uh, all that's we, gratuitous uh, to me. For me, all I wanted was a faster launch time of my camera. I mean, yeah. and that's one of the main reasons I use Camera Plus is because it launches like 300% faster than the built-in camera app. Right. And yeah, then, during the live stream, actually, the WWW live stream, I was watching Tom, Alex. He was actually counting off, I think, eight seconds between launching his camera and the, you know, ended opening while you guys are there following the. the so, so what about what about photo stream? Is that important, Alex? Well, yeah. I, well, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, uh, photo stream does look like it's going to be, uh, you know, when you're connected to iCloud, which is going to be free. So a lot of us have, that have been paying for. <laughs> Uh, mobile me for a long time <laughs> since it began <laughs> since uh, not, the beginning of time yeah. not that i'm bitter um but uh you know they finally icloud is replacing mobile me and with it is coming um you know a way that basically when you're taking photos you're it's automatically going to start sharing all those photos um between your different devices and so um this is going to make it a lot easier uh you know it's going to be doing that through the cloud now i'm a, i'm assuming that it's doing it via Wi-Fi. I think that they started to distinguish that, and Aaron might remember. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's all it Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. I don't think I don't. I think that AT and T would would uh, take um, uh, exception to yeah. uh, to Apple using the three G because if they thought that your three G was bad before, <laughs> let everybody let everybody be sending their iPhone. You know, their all their pictures up and down uh, would would really kill it. So you could so also the, put a lot of pressure on your data plan too. Right. Yeah. So, so it's, it's when you're connected to Wi-Fi, all these things will sync up so that you'll, you'll be able to push all of your photos to all your iOS devices. So if you're taking, and a lot of us have multiple iOS devices and multiple uh, computers, and you're, you can um, very quickly have them um, uh, popping back and forth. So you're taking photos on your, on your iPhone, and uh, relatively quickly they'll be available on your iPad. And so I think that those, those are going to be, um, you know, I think fairly, uh, a fairly interesting Selection. One of the things that I think for event photographers or, or people who are covering events that this could provide is imagine taking um, a bunch of uh, iPhones or iPod touches and giving them all the same, you know, sync, uh, give them, giving them all the same iCloud membership, you know, iCloud mm-hmm. IE. Yep. And, and then having just handing them about to a lot of the people in the, in the, in the uh, event 
and letting them take all those photos, those those could all be syncing in real time back to an Apple TV that's showing those photos, you know, projected on. We're sharing them with the world, right? So, Sarah, Sarah, would you use something like this? This, I mean, are you familiar with PhotoStream, and and would you integrate something like this in the future to your to some of the weddings that you shoot? Yeah, well, I think it was really interesting to see to see that, and my brain started going immediately like, oh, that's really that could totally (laughs) that could totally work because I have Apple TV streaming. In my studio, so I'm always using that to show clients images. So, PhotoStream just sounds like another great way to kind of make that all work. But I think I'd really want to see it integrated first mm-hmm. um, and see how it actually works live um, before I decided exactly how to use it. Yeah, it'd be great to have like a pro version of PhotoStream that let you do all sorts of pro type features, like you were talking about, Alex, to to restrict it to. Um, a, a, a specific group of people. You know? Well, and I think that all of those things, r- remember that a lot of the iCloud, uh, one of the things that Apple talked about is that iCloud uh, and a lot of its features are going to be uh, you know, part of the Xcode and part of the things that developers can develop against. So you could imagine that um, uh, someone, you know, lo- you know, something like Camera Plus could have iCloud features that would do many of the things that we're talking about uh, and be made available. Um, you know, that, that, that all could be something that was um, done by third-party developers. Uh, that I don't think Apple necessarily would do it, um, but I do think that, uh, you know, to, to specialize something. But a lot of these iCloud features are going to be available to developers. So it sounds like they'll be able to kind of push that. Of course, to really make all of this work, they need to open up uh, Apple TV 2 uh, and make it a general iOS device, which I think will happen someday. Didn't I think happen. they're just going to build a TV. That's what I'm waiting on. I don't think so. I don't um, think so either. Tristan, <laughs> no. Tristan, you've been you've been silent back there. You're, are you familiar with these announcements from WWDC, the iCloud, Flowstream, all this stuff? I uh, I have been uh, watching a little bit of of what's been going on there. As you know, I'm not an Apple user, so it's been interesting my my business partner a lot more than than me because he just recently got a Mac. But um, but yeah, it, it's it definitely there's some some very interesting developments in there and. Um, I've been contemplating getting an iPhone for the last little while, so it's quite exciting to yeah, see how you, they. You were the guy the that side. you were the holdout on getting an iPad, and uh, what, what was the device that you had before you got the iPad? The Samsung Galaxy Tab, and you were in love with it. I still uh, have it. You still is? Are you using it though? Um, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. So the second put, question put is: way, Are you using an iPad? Are you using the iPad? Um, I am. I. <laughs> I, I I have been using the iPad a, a lot more um, for its photographic applications, which which yeah. for me was one of the shortcomings of the the Galaxy Tab. Although now with the iFi Direct mode, the only thing that's lacking on Android is a decent photo editing application. Mm. Um, you know, there isn't. Uh, I'm sorry, but you know, Adobe Photoshop Express is is kind of pointless to be yeah. honest with yeah. you yeah. um you know so until there's a decent photo editing app yes the ipad still still takes um you know the first first spot in terms of of photo applications when i'm going out and shooting um very cool okay. but yeah I, I must say it's it's been for me it's been interesting to see the developments that they're doing and, and i think one of the things that really gets to me is trying to have all my images backing up to the same place. Otherwise, at the moment, I'm sitting with half of my images from you know last week's photo walk on my iPad, and half of my 
collection on one laptop and half on another and and i i just struggle to have a system that puts everything together in the same place so this definitely is interesting for me to to you know see how one can kind of finally get everything backed up into one place rather than having to try and copy hard drives around and and spending time looking for a photograph yeah i'm sorry i don't have a decent workflow (laughs) (laughs) so without turning this episode into this week in apple photography um we can continue this discussion on the this week in photo blog because we've now integrated facebook comments into the site so listeners if you are interested in in continuing this discussion with us just head over to the the blog post for this episode and tell us what you think about this iCloud stuff and it will uh, it'll integrate with your Facebook nicely so we're excited about that all right gents and, and lady let's jump right into the news um, so this first thing to continue on the Apple train is <laughs> about Apple filing a patent that apparently would let external transmitters disable features in the camera. For example, if you went within a certain range of one of these transmitters, it could turn off certain things like, or turn on things like watermarking on certain images and, and that kind of thing. That is really kind of scary to me. I don't know. Sarah, what, what do you think about this? If you, you go somewhere, you're taking pictures with your, with your iPhone 6, and uh, you get back home and it's got like a big fat watermark over the top of it that says, not for commercial use. What would you, how would you do? deal with that yeah well it's kind of crazy to think about it but um but i think it's really interesting too i mean as you know they're always trying to police what you're doing with your with your camera even like when you're out and about at museums or or things like that i think it's interesting that you know maybe it'll come more in what you actually can do and less in you know somebody coming up and tapping you on the shoulder so um I, it's a little scary, but at the same time, I mean, if if they really don't want you to take pictures, it, w- it would be nice to know. Um, and I don't even worry about that. I mean, I worry about them like disabling it. Yeah, that's one thing. But I worry about, say, I'm going into, I don't know, I'm in Union Square or or I'm in I'm in the ballpark. Right. You know, I'm in I'm watching a right. baseball game, and every picture I take has a URL watermarked on it that says for more information on the ballpark go to you know that kind of thing (laughs) or an iad or something you know well i'm sure that no matter what the application of of what they're actually intending could be a little not so great so i'm sure their intention behind this has has some interesting meaning but um how it's going to be used is a little is a little scary like how people are going to twist it now, Aaron, Aaron, you're in the Washington D.C. area, so if if this was implemented, say in the in the mall there, and every shot you took of the Capitol had some sort of government stamp on it, do you think that'd be okay? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think it'd be okay at all. Um, in fact, I, uh, I I do find this to be more big brother than benefit because I mean, from a technical perspective, when I look at this, the infrared triggers I could certainly see for blocking or disabling your camera or something in concerts and places where they don't like you taking shots. I love the idea of automation for a tour guide in a museum, but I think that could be done wirelessly mm-hmm. uh, as well, rather than IR. So that's that's what makes me feel like. The positive things on here are putting a good spin on something that I think is more intended for for hampering our use than helping it. Yeah, but that's yeah. just my gut feeling. Yeah. Well, I think I think that there are there's there's uh, plus sides. I mean, I think there's a lot of sensitivity, for instance, at at gyms or at in um, you know bathrooms and in 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 subways in some countries where yeah. yep. uh, you know being able to turn off phones, you know, ability to uh, capture is something that uh, you could see how that actually protects people's you know rightful privacy. Um, and I think that, you know, it, 
you know, you can argue that it makes sense to turn them off when you're in a theater, um, partially because you don't want people, you know, getting copywritten material and all that fun stuff. But um, uh, also, uh, it's just a pain. It's, it's really ugly when people are taking something in front of you. You know, it's like, you know, they, you see it there and it's a distraction and you paid to paid to be there. So uh, yeah. um, but I think that on the other side of that, the, the more, much more scary side of that is. Um, not just uh, given locations, but being able to do it mo- mobily. So you can imagine a, um, a uh, you know, in a police car, for instance, they could, you could theoretically have one attached to the car. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and so, so you could decide, you know, in, in, we've seen this in some states and cities where they won't, uh, you know, they don't want you to take pictures of the police. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, then being able to attach it to a car that just basically deactivates the camera's, um, at a certain distance uh, is um, is a it, I, I don't think it would withstand the scrutiny of the First Amendment. So I think that if we see this going very far at all, I think you're going to end up with a lot of um, constitutional challenges. Yeah, or people just would stop buying cameras with this feature in. Them. But I think yeah, well yeah, and that that, that yeah, could also be. A, yeah. I, I think that there is. A, I think people would be concerned about that, but I also think that there'd be a lot of constitutional issues. Yeah, um, can you imagine that? A, you know, police car pulls up and they hit a little switch, and it, like it's all, like uh, what do you call it? What's the what's that uh, uh, elect- EMP, the electromagnetic pulse EMP. that yeah that, that disables all electronic devices within a certain radius? Boom, and now they can do whatever they want. That would right. so that would not be good. Right, yeah. and you can see that especially in countries that are not the United States, um, mm-hmm. where that could be really mm-hmm. something that I mean, a lot of what. Uh, makes it difficult to what's increasingly becoming difficult for totalitarian governments is the fact that everybody's got a phone. Yeah. You know, and so uh, I think that, you know, this is a place that while Apple has a patent to do it, I I think that they should tread very, very carefully. Tristan Tristan Hall. So uh, Alex brings up a good point. So you're, you're in South Africa and I'm not familiar with just you know, we're we're all familiar with with our rights and liberties here. But how yeah. would something like this affect you there? Is this something the government would say? Okay, yeah, we're going to turn this on. Um, I, I I don't I don't think so necessarily. Look, I, I think there there is a big battle going on in South Africa at the moment around a, a bill that they're trying to pass to to kind of almost takes things backwards and and kind of secret you know information which they deem is is sensitive to national security and that and of course you could sit in a situation where a minister who's taking bribes from foreign countries or or companies or whatever um you know could be deemed as national security and and so there's a lot of of you know, concern around that, um, and yes, I think if, if you know if they could enforce it with technology, it would it would make matters even worse. As it stands right now, um, you know, there's there are already issues that exist, and and you know, South Africa tends to be more you know. Uh, far more advanced or forward-based, you know, forward-thinking country than some of the the other African counterparts. But, um, you know, we we still have issues where police are, um, you know, intimidating photojournalists, taking away uh, gear from them, trying to stop them from from getting them to take photographs of them executing their duties and responsibilities, um, yeah. even though it's it's not allowed. And so it's, you know, there there are um, there are issues already around that. They they hopefully are on a much smaller scale, but there, there could be concerns if people could actually start enforcing it, um, you know, as, as something, you know, that, that through technology was a way to kind of enforce it without just executing a, a bill to protect their rights or whatever the case is. Yeah. Yeah. The good so news. It, it's, tem- yeah. So 
All I was gonna say is the good news is is that if uh, if Apple has the patent and doesn't do anything with it, uh, it makes it very difficult for the else can. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, they can sit on it. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that's the other side of this. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move on to story number two uh, real quickly. Sigma has announced a medium format resolution or medium format resolution on a cropped sensor camera using the Foveon sensor technology. So, Alex, again, I'm happy that you're on the show. So I wanted to. You're familiar with Foveon, right? And and what that is. Can you define it for the folks who may not be familiar with it and why it's different than traditional sensors? So the, the, the real difference between the, the Foveon and the CMOS is that a CMOS sensor basically is flat, so to speak. And what, what that means is that you actually, the red, green, and blue uh, uh, sensors are all actually next to each other. They're not on top of each other. And so what that means is that if you open the raw image that comes out of your camera uh, and, and you turn off the sharpening that oftentimes is automatically added, the reason that sharpening is automatically added to your photos is because it's actually a little blurry. Uh, the, the the photo is actually a little blurred because all the pixels are not the red green and blues are not sitting on top of each other they're sitting next to each other and um, and that creates um, you know a, a lack of sharpness uh, in some degrees and so what a foveon sensor does it actually stacks those sensors up so that they're right on underneath each other now um, what it their argument is is that they always multiply everything by three because they're they're basically saying that um, you know that that we're still giving you the same. You were actually, you know, we're still giving you the same effective uh, size. It's you know, just that's stacked the, on each other, though. Right? Stacked on each other. So it's uh, and it's very difficult because they they keep on trying to. This has been a real challenge for Sigma to argue um, because they uh, because they, you know people look at the pixels and they just go, well, it's a you know it's a fifteen megapixel image, you know, or it's a four point seven megapixel image. Uh, you know the file. The file coming out of it is a certain size, and Fobion and, and Sigma saying, "Well, it is, but it's a sharp, much sharper image because it's all because these are stacked." And the pictures that I've seen, I have. You know what I'd love to do is have. You know, if someone from Sigma is listening to us today, mm-hmm. um, I would love to um, take a Sigma out and and really compare it to my five D back to back. I have not had that opportunity to do that. Um, but if Sigma wants to send us a one for a week or two. Uh, we will do that. Um, so I've seen some of the images and and uh, unconnected. Not you know what I want to do is throw it up literally next to another camera in our studio with all with a controlled uh, you know setup and really compare them uh, back to back and we could do that for the show. Uh, but um, so I haven't really uh, had that opportunity. Um, to see it, the, so you don't have like a, a in a controlled control group A, con- controlled group B. Let's see which is better. Pixel not that for I, pixel. not that I'm not trusting, but I haven't done it. You yeah. know, so I, there's there's stuff on the web. You can look at comparisons, and it does look sharper um, in, in many of those com- comparisons. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, you know what I you know anyway. So that's so, but I, we haven't gotten a chance to test it. But um, theoretically, it it uh, you know it does look a little sharper for the same uh, number of pixels. Aaron, what do you think about this? Is this is this on your 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 wish list, your Amazon wish list to purchase this ninety seven um, nine thousand seven hundred dollar camera. At ninety seven hundred dollars, no, I'm, I'd probably be putting that in more lenses for my Canon equipment. But yeah. uh, I've always been uh, very interested in the Foveon sensor. I think it's a, you know, and it's been associated with some of the highest end cameras for quite a while. But uh, so I'm interested to see this coming into this space. But yeah. uh, I don't have any firsthand experience either. Got it. Now, Sarah France, um, you're you're strictly DSLR 35 millimeter format, correct? You, or, or do you ever dip your toe into the medium format world? No, I I really don't. There's not really a need for it in our in our market right now. It's not to say I wouldn't at some point, but um, 
but yeah, I've, I've never really taken a hard look at a Sigma camera. So I, I think, I don't think I'll be checking it out anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, let's move on. Alex, who's our, who's sponsoring the show? Well, one of our sponsors is audible.com. Of course, uh, I, I think I'll, do all of us use Audible? I know, I know. I am a crazy yes. Audible fan. Yeah. Yes. So you know, Audible is, um, you know, they have over 75,000 downloadable titles uh, in all types of literature, including audio versions of the New York Times, uh, bestsellers. Uh, just basically, there's, there's spoken word, there's magazines, there's audiobooks, there's all kinds of things that you can actually uh, download here. And um, for the, the TWIP listeners, uh, you can get a uh, you can get a free audiobook if you just try out their service at um, you want to go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. Now, the, now, I have to admit that it's hard to recommend photo books on an Audible ad. <laughs> so, so, so the, imagine uh, if you will. <laughs> so imagine if you will. Uh, no, but it's um, – so instead of talking necessarily about a, a photo book, I'm just talking about some of the books that I'm listening to right now. Uh, the, I, I, we would probably go around the horn and talk about some of the books that we're listening to. Sure. I just finished um, – for some reason, I'm in an economics uh, binge at the moment. So I just uh, I just finished Dembisa Moyo's uh, How the West Was Lost, which is a uh, basically like it feels like a master's degree in macroeconomics, um, but really talking about uh, a lot of the issues that are challenging um, economic uh, outlook for the West. And uh, and then I'm I'm moving to Thirteen Bankers, which is kind of more of the same. So I, I know that's not really a photographic book, um, but the but what's great about them is is that what I do is I listen to them while I'm cleaning the house uh, while I'm um, you know, uh, when I'm cleaning or working on something that doesn't really require my head and I would be bored if I did it. That's, this is the number one place that I do use audible is I'm working in the yard or I'm working on the house or I'm waiting or I'm on a plane or I'm on and, and I don't really, can't really do anything else. Uh, and I'd be bored if I was just doing this one thing. So I, you know, I love having audible to be able to put that in the background. What else, what are other people um, listening to? Oh, I'm, I'm geeking out and listening to a book again that I listened to. I think I bought this several years ago. I bought the paperback and read it, and now I'm having it read to me. It's a book by Neil Stevenson called Snow Crash. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a science fiction sort of matrixy kind of you know, bleak, apocalyptic future where everyone is who they want to be inside the computer. Not that I, want to, I need that or anything, but I'm just saying... <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a really good book. I know there's a lot of TWIP listeners nodding their head right now because they probably they probably read it or are reading the same book. But that would be my recommendation. What about you, Aaron? Uh, I am actually, I, I got distracted here for the last couple of weeks. Um, so I'm still finishing off the book I recommended, I think, on the 200 episode of Game of Thrones. Yep. But uh, next up, I've got uh, Secretariat. Uh, about the uh, you know, the racehorse, which uh, Andy Anako actually recommended, and with with such high praise that I couldn't resist it, and uh, probably Seal Team Six as well, which for obvious reasons came on my radar recently in last month's news. Yeah, I, I just I actually downloaded that, and that's coming out after my Thirteen Bankers. I'm going to be listening to Seal Team Six. Probably so hit it about the same time then. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, so now I don't want to I don't want to put everybody on the spot here, but the uh, but the idea is is that if you. Uh, um, if you're interested, you should definitely check it out. I don't, I don't read books that are photo. Here's what I will say about it: is if there's not big pictures, if they're not you know taking pictures of it and putting them in the books, I don't read them anymore. Not with my, you know, that's what to me books, big picture books are stuff that I buy. Um, and uh, but if if it's just got a lot of text, this is the only way to do it, as far as I'm concerned. So go to audiblepodcast.com/slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com/slash twip to get your free book, and uh, you know, see if you like it and uh, sign up. It's just awesome. 
All right, cool. All right. The next, this next story that I want to talk about is, um, you know, and I'm trying to resist the urge to go into this whole Nikon versus Canon thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, uh, NASA sent up a Nikon D3X, uh, to take pictures of the International Space Station, uh, docked with the space shuttle. And we're going to put links to these pictures in the, in the show notes. They're awesome. Amazing. I mean, this is like Moonraker stuff. That it's like amazing photos. So I wanted to get you guys thoughts. I know you've you've probably seen the photos. So I wanted to get a your thoughts on these shots, and then B, if you could just talk a little bit about you know their their camera choice for this particular mission and how they let it burn up and all that. So Alex, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it to you first because you are a cannon shooter. They sh- they sent up a Nikon. Where is this pick- luck of the draw that they said you know let's send a Nikon up here or is Nikon better in space than Canon? I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know if it's better in space. The the real question here is that you know one one of the things that we um uh that they noticed that we noticed is they let it burn up in in space. So they they can't bring everything back and so they they uh took all the photos, they got the memory cards but left it to um reenter on its own. And the real question that we have to that that hopefully someone from NASA can answer for us is if it had been a Canon, would they would have they brought it back? <laughs> would they brought it back? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Good it wasn't question. worth the luggage. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I, I think that, I think that they're, I think that they're very, you know, I, I, at these high end SLRs, I think that it's more of a, in many ways, I think it's more of a taste, um, or you know, I, the, the reason that we have, the reason that I shoot Canon is because the video capabilities of the five D are better than than Nikon's. Yeah, you know, at that end, and that's the, I mean, to be honest with you, that's the only reason I shoot Canon. Um, I think that the the because um, that's what we use it at least half the time for video, or I do, and so I needed to have that capability. Um, that's been the number one uh, deciding factor. I think that the mechanism between the Nikon is is quieter i think the autofocus is better um i think that i i think that um uh, it is crazy that canon only does three exposure brackets instead of nine like you get with just about any Nik- a nikon slr yeah um so you know i think that nikon outpaces uh canon in many respects um i think that it comes short in video uh, i think the low light is better on the nikon uh and uh so I think that all of those things, you know, I would lean towards Nikon if they had better uh, video capabilities. But before before we get all the uh, the Facebook comments on on why we're not talking about other brands, because I, I think I got a message the other day like, why are you guys always talking about Nikon, Canon? You do realize there's other brands like Sony, Panasonic, etc. So Tristan, you are our representative of other. Right. So yes. you're, you are the Sony shooter out there. What made you, you know, aside from, you know, if there are business reasons involved, but what made you decide that you wanted to go with the Sony hardware brand instead of Nikon or Canon? Um, I think when when I was shooting a lot more seriously on, on full frame and that, um, well, first of all, I, I mean, they took a D3X up into space, which is the same resolution as the Alpha 900 or the 850, um, and they they cost a, a fraction of the price of what the D3X does. Um, you know, so that, that was one of the things for me, which was a, a, a deciding factor is I was getting, you know, that much higher resolution. In fact, for the price of a D3X, I could I got a Alpha 900, a Zeiss 204070, a 70-200 2.8. Um, you know, so that, I think it was exceptionally good value for money for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the quality of the Zeiss lenses and the fact that they have those Zeiss lenses are, are again, something that, that appeals to me as well. Um, and I think more so now recently is I've been shooting a lot with the NEX um, mirrorless cameras. And so 
that for me has – and the reason I, I like their mirrorless cameras is they are an APS-C size sensor, so it's a little bit bigger than the four-thirds, but the camera is smaller than any of the four-thirds cameras. So, And I've just now um, – I'm busy testing the NEX C3 that was launched earlier this week, and um, it, I must tell you it was terribly difficult to keep quiet about it after I got it a few weeks before the announcement. Um, and it's it's been I, I just really enjoyed the the way those cameras work. I know a lot of people, you know, have questions or doubts about the handling of it um, because it doesn't have a proper mode dial or anything like that. But mm-hmm. for me, they they really work incredibly well. Um, the video quality is good on them. The uh, you know the stills quality is fantastic on them, and they're really small and easy to work with. So yeah. um, you know that's kind of why I've I've stuck with them on on that side. Um, you know, for photo walks and that kind of stuff, it's a it's a brilliant and camera system to use. Now, Sarah, Sarah France, I know for a fact that you were a Nikon shooter because I have a 50 millimeter lens that you gave me <laughs> that, that, fits, that fits nicely on my D700, but you've moved on. Thank you very much for that, by the way. Um, yeah, you've moved on to Canon. So what was, what was the impetus of that decision? Um, well, it was a, it was a long time ago, but at the time, um, Canon was, you know, ahead in the race. So I think it, it's it's a race that's constantly going and it depends on what your priorities are on, on cameras. But um, I really, you know, I I try to play the game of, you know, I'm, I'm a Canon shooter and I'm on the side of Canon. But really, I, I just really like to use whatever is is the best option out there. But when, once you invest in a bunch of lenses, like you need to stick with where you're at um, or it can be pretty co- pretty costly to to make the switch so i think that's where you get a bunch of you know people who are so passionate about what cameras that they have because um it's not like it's not like switching tv brands or something you know you have to you have to really make a huge investment to to make that switch so yeah absolutely go ahead it's always there are great options out there so you know sony has some incredible options Canon has incredible cameras and it just depends on where your priorities are and, and they all have, you know, things that are that are better. So yeah. yeah, and I know Aaron, you 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 made the decision to go you're with uh with Canon. What was what was mm-hmm. behind that decision or was it is it video when, based like like Alex? No, when I started with Canon a number of years ago, they were significantly ahead in the in the digital race and I began my lens investment at that point, which is part of what commits a lot of people to one model or the other. Yeah. You know, once you're a few thousand dollars or more into lenses that aren't going to work across those cameras, there's got to be a pretty compelling argument to move. And, and I have utmost respect for Nikon. In the last week and a half, I've had, probably had about a dozen conversations with people asking for advice on one or the other. And I just pepper them with questions, you know, what kind of shooting are you going to do, that type of thing. You know, I'm looking for, you know, are they looking at low light? Are they looking more for action photography? Do they want to put some heavy focus into video? Those types of things. And those are the, the ways that I kind of guide them in one direction or the other. But I always point out to them that if you're going to go with an S SLR, you know, make your choice and start making your lens investment after that because you're going to be pretty committed at that point until yeah. someday maybe when there's some standard out there in the SLR world that we can all use, but I just don't see that happening anytime soon. Well, and I think that I think one of the things is, is make that lens investment carefully because mm-hmm. uh, when you get started, the body is the least expensive part of your process. And so, exactly. um, so buy, you know, buy a camera, get one or two lenses, and then to be honest with you, in my opinion, you rent them. You know, yep. rent the extra ones. I, totally. I mean, if you're a pro and you're and you're going to be covering a bunch of stuff, and you need to go ahead and commit to all of those things, you probably you you have probably already made this this choice. But if you're getting started, don't feel like you have to buy 20 lenses. You know, you can get two, three, 
two or three lenses that are going to solve most of your problems. And when you're going to go out for a big shoot, go to borrow lenses or, or another one of the rental or local rental uh, agency and just rent some, rent some lenses. They're, they're, it's, it's so easy and relatively inexpensive. Um, there's no reason for the for 80% of our listeners, there is no reason for you to own more than two or three lenses. Um, you know, because you're just not going to, you know, use them that heavily, you know, you're going to use them on the weekends or you're going to use them at certain times and you can, in all of those things, you can rent the lenses for two or three days, you know, or a week or whatever. And it's just, it's, it's just a much more economical way to do it without committing you to 6,000. When I moved from Nikon to Canon, um, for video reasons, uh, it was a six, $8,000 choice. Wow. You know, it was like, it was painful, you know, and, and. And when I look at how many times I use some of those lenses, I really wish I had rented. So, you know, that's yeah. something to, you know, keep in the back of your head is that you don't have to buy a ton of these lenses all at one time. You know, you can just get there's, you know, we've talked about it a hundred times, but getting a couple bare bones lenses um, that you absolutely are going to shoot with all the time and then just augment those as you need them. Yeah. All right. Speaking of cameras, let's move on to the next story. This is about uh, still cameras. So this this basically started over on Vincent Laferay's blog where he's uh, doing photography with the Red Epic M um, digital cinema camera. And I know, Alex, you're familiar with this model. But the, what he's posing in this blog post that we'll link to from our post is that uh, in five to ten years down the line, perhaps, will still cameras as they exist today cease to exist and we will be shooting everything in video and just yanking still frames from them and he's got an he's got a photo on his blog that was pulled from a you know some footage from an epic and it looks pretty dang good so um alex Lindsay, is this where we're going 10 years we're not going to have still cameras anymore well yeah i mean i I think that we're we're, i i I completely agree with what he's saying i I don't know exactly how we're going to get there but if you look at the trajectory, I mean, all of my SLR cameras shoot video, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and so the I, you know, we're already moving down that path uh, fairly close. I think Epic is probably the furthest along in this um, trajectory, but there are, uh, for instance, uh, Sony, uh, and this is the very high end. Their very high end film cameras yeah. have an 8K sensor, you know, built into them, um, you know, and then and then it's oversampling back down to 4K. Um, and, and it's, I, I believe it's capable of shooting 60 frames a second. Now this is a quarter million dollar camera, but the point is, is that they're already producing these, the chips, whether it's Epic or Sony, they're starting to produce these chips that are capable of capturing, um, anywhere from, from 24 to 60 frames in the Epic's, you know, you can do 120 frames a second. There's a lot of these things that are happening right now, um, that are going to, uh, kind of keep on pushing down this path. And, and I think that, and we're seeing more and more of the still cameras adding more and more video. Uh, I, I really do think um, that you, as a still photographer, especially if you're young, and this is, you know, you still got another um, five or ten years, I guess that's, you know, so if anyone under 80, um, you know, uh, I think you should be paying attention to video because unless you are in the very, very top 0.001% of photographers, more and more, there's going to be more and more pressure for you to be adding video. Now, we've been talking about this on this show for three or four years now mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. of this this fact that people need to start paying attention to that but i think that you're you're definitely getting more um you know more of this where you're going to just have video cameras that that can you can pull the stills out now there's a, there are some issues there one is uh what do you do with your shutter speed so so for instance you know when you're shooting video you're typically that shutter speed is about twice the speed 
of your frame rate. Mm-hmm. So if you're shooting 24 frames a second, your shutter speed is 148. Um, that'd be a lot of blur for most people's, <laughs> you know, uh, wedding photography. So, so the question is, is that, you know, but, or do you turn that shutter speed way up and then, and then just capture video that doesn't, that wouldn't really work as video, but would work as continuous stills. Um, and I think that, uh, I, I think there is some issues. I think that there's, there is something about consciousness that when you're pulling a trigger of capturing that one moment, I think that it's hard to reproduce in video sometimes. So I want to, I want to throw that back to Sarah, because Sarah, you're, you are, you know, you're the working event photographer pro um, out there in five, 10 years. Do you think you'll be at a point where it makes sense for you or, or let me, let me, re- let me rephrase the question. Will videographers be biting into your market as a still photographer because they can just shoot with these high-end kind of cameras and deliver an album directly built from the video footage, therefore obsoleting the need for a still photographer? Um, Well, I definitely see how all these things are starting to come together, and it's definitely not something that that we should be ignoring or acting like isn't happening. So um, I think that the evolution is going to happen in one way or another is it going to be the photographers dipping into the videographers industry or the videographers dipping into the photographers industry mm-hmm. or both of them coming together mm-hmm. um that still remains to be seen but i think that um you know this year alone videographers have seen photographers really dipping into their industry a little bit more so um more so i think it's just the coming together of those of those two uh, ways of thinking and ways of shooting and and it's interesting to see what that's bringing because photographers I think have a really unique perspective on video um, and I'm sure videographers have a unique perspective on photography as well so I I I think uh, it's definitely happening and it just depends on how it's going to evolve it remains to be seen but I'm excited for it I think I I think that just means more options, more interesting art that we're going to be able to create. Yeah, yeah. And I, I and I do I think that I actually think that photographers will be dipping into videographers more than vice versa. Um, yeah. I think that there is an intense um training form that most still photographers have to have regarding framing, lighting, um composition and a lot of things that I don't think are oftentimes as uh, important to some videographers at the same level when you talk about, like, for instance, event coverage. Um, And I think that uh, so I think that there's a skill set there that I think transfers from still to video faster than it will from video to still. Yeah, Uh, just something that that I found interesting in chatting to Sony's um, local uh, marketing team in their chain South Africa is that um, first of all that that the video market their handycam market um, has been kind of stagnant or in decline over the last couple of years um, depending on where you look in the world so whereas their stills and particularly their salon market is is growing rapidly um, in comparison so there's been this shift in their focus to try and make these devices be a multi-purpose I mean they've got a range of, of new handycams now which have built in projectors and in ways to try and share the media a, a lot faster um, because there's, there's, 
there seems to be less interest uh, from a consumer level uh, in a way to to the video, maybe because there's better video in compact cameras um, and, and stills cameras now, but there's definitely there's, there's a moving away from conventional video. Uh, what I've also found interesting in South African marketplace is a lot of your, your Canon um, cameras that are, are shooting video have been adopted by um, guys that are coming from the film industry, um, you know, film students and that, that wouldn't be able to afford the high-end film cameras are, are going into the roots of, you know, a 600D or, or 60D kind of, of thing to, to, you know, study with and, and shoot with. So it seems, in, depending on the market chain, that the shift is different, that the, the film industry is adopting this technology more quickly than what the photographic community is. Um, you know, flipping that again, Sony's video cameras don't give you the exposure control and everything or the SLR cameras that shoot video don't give you the exposure control in that that the Canons do. They're aimed at being far more consumer-orientated. And there you'll find that the guys that are buying them are more consumer-based. They don't want to have to think about what their shutter speed needs to be versus their frame rate and everything like that. They want the camera to do it automatically for them. And so they've kind of gone and catered for that market a lot better um, so that there's a greater adoption for it uh, on, a, on a broader scale. Um, but I, I just found that very interesting to see how they're finding the market's changing for them and that there's a, a much bigger drive on the still side um, and particularly SLR and videos kind of dying out on a consumer basis. Yeah, and I know, I know Aaron, you've, you've been on sort of a pilgrimage around capturing multiple media like stills and video and audio and all that stuff. Is this... Like, Contrast this with last year and the your f- photographic diet, as it were. Are you are you capturing more video? And if you are, what are you doing with that video that you're capturing? I certainly am catching more video. Um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say that it's it's not even fifty fifty with stills at this point. I mean, it's still a very secondary thing for me, and it's very experimental. But it's something I've been fascinated with, partly because I. I have done a lot of editing in the past, which I thoroughly enjoy, and having the ability to shoot, you know, good quality video now to, you know, and, and kind of complete the loop for me is is a lot of fun. But uh, nothing I've done for video at this point is commercial. It's all been personal or, or stuff for you know the college I work for for some fun projects we've done and things like that. And I don't even intend to step into that realm anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we have another sponsor, I believe, on the show. Alex, who's our who's our next sponsor? Our second sponsor is uh, Squarespace, which uh, I love. Uh, Squarespace, of course, is the um, easiest, just a really fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. Uh, you know, it, it, the bottom line is, is that if you're a photographer and you want to put up your, uh, your blog, uh, your galleries, uh, and be able to include things like um, you know, uh, your web, you know, uh, search engine optimizers, uh, permissions so that different people could see stuff, um, you know, and you want to make sure that you can, you know, add things like Flickr photo displays or form builders or forums or, or uh, you know, Twitter widgets and Google Maps and all these other things. Now, you could try to figure out how to code all of that. You could try to figure out how to put that together and, and how to install it on the server and all, you know, and, and write all that stuff. Or you could just do WYSIWYG drag and drop move all those things in, just drop them in, know that it's on a cloud, which means that if you get slammed, if, if, uh, if something shows up on a gadget or, or, um, or we talk about it, <laughs> um, that your, you know, your site doesn't, uh, you know, melt down. And so, um, you know, Squarespace lets you do all of that. Of course, uh, you don't have to be a web expert. Now, if you have a lot of those skills, you can still inject custom code, um, and, 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 uh, take, take over some of those things with uh, CSS. But if you don't have those, there's hundreds of templates to pick from. Uh, you can, of course, import stuff, uh, import your, uh, 
uh, from WordPress Blogger, movable type and TypePad, and export back out. So if you don't, you know, if you decide you don't like it, you can. There is a way to get out. Um, you can update it with an iPad and i um, iPhone app, which is just awesome. I use it um, to update mine. Where you know I can be on my iPhone, take a picture. Uh, do the blog and boom and just send it right up and there are many third-party apps that do that but it's great to have it just built by the company and just it just seamlessly works uh, to be able to kind of keep those things up to date Um, so check it out there's a 14-day free trial all you got to do is go to squarespace.com slash twip and uh, you can go month to month you don't have to make a commitment Uh, 14 days you can just try it and see if it works for you uh, you can get up to 20% off if you do a two-year commitment, 10% off if you do a one-year commitment. And, uh, and it's, you don't have to put a credit card in for the, uh, for the tryout. Uh, it's, it's, free, it's free to just give it a shot. Um, and again, go to squarespace.com slash twip. Don't, you don't need to believe me. Just go try it yourself. If you've been waiting to put up that website, uh, you've got to stop waiting. And uh, go to squarespace.com slash twip and try it out. Very cool. All right. Thanks, Alex. All right, it's time to answer some listener questions, and until we get our forums back up and running, you can feel free to post your questions over on our Facebook page, and you can get to that quickly. Just go to thisweekinphoto.com slash Facebook, and that'll bounce you over to it. So uh, let's let's get some uh, some listener questions in, or some li- some tips and questions. So, Alex, what's your what's your first tip? Uh, so my. Uh my tip is to pay attention, especially in areas that you are going to be shooting in, uh, especially around your house uh, or, in, or if you're in a location. Pay a lot of attention to, to the lighting uh, in your environment. So pay attention to the light. Where is the sun? Where are the shadows going? Uh, what angles are working? Uh, what, you know, what is the color of the light at different times of the day? And get a sense of what, what that looks like at different times. And, and in the back of your head, start really paying attention to that. Now, there's tools that will let you you know, know some of that stuff. Um, but it's just, you know, I've, I've learned like there are certain, there's a certain light that I like to take my, uh, take pictures of my kids in. And I always know throughout the year what that time is. <laughs> and then, <laughs> nice. and it's funny cause we happen to wander off into the backyard, uh, at about that time. So I can take pictures of them, you know, in the, in the backyard. And, and what it is, is it's basically, there's this, there is this, uh, it's near sunset, but it, because we've got all these trees, there's literally like a 20 minute window that I know that I can get backlight on their hair and I can get all this other stuff that's, that, that looks very natural. And then it's going to become diffuse and then I'm going to get other kinds of uh, photos that I like. But it, a lot of that stuff comes from really starting to consciously pay attention um, to where the light's going and what it's doing to shadow shadows and color and everything else. And, it's, and a lot of people I notice just don't, you know, they, they just kind of are... Uh, kind of flowing, going with the flow, but you, these are the kind of things that, especially if you're going to do something uh, more often, uh, starting to pay attention to what that looks like uh, will help you out a lot. Very cool. All right, thanks, Alex. And Mr. Tristan Hall, what's your what's your tip? Um, my tip would be to kind of give something back with your photography. Um, you know, I've recently been uh, in in discussions and that with a couple of projects that um, you know are all about giving back to to people, and they, I've been hit quite recently, uh, uh, you know, by the impact that uh, and the power that a photograph has and the meaning it has in people's lives. So I would you know try and encourage people to get involved and and give something back with their photography. You could look at you know being involved with the Help Portrait Project that uh, Jeremy Coet organizes. Um, something that Photo Comments uh, quite anxiously engaged with at the moment is a project out here in South Africa called 100,000 Photos for Hope, which is um, being organized by the fund that manages the bone marrow registry here in, in South Africa and kind of highlighting the fact that 
the you know your chance of finding a, a match in a bone marrow registry is one in a hundred thousand, and so they're trying to get a hundred thousand photographs, printed photographs together, that they'll um, auction off on the sixteenth of July to raise funds, um, you know, for for testing people for the bone marrow registry, etc. Um, and if people want to get involved um, in that as well, photocomments uh, website at photocomment.net is a gallery people can upload into and uh, we've got a sponsor on board that's printing a thousand photographs from that gallery to to go onto the auction so um, Wonderful. you know if people around the world would like to get involved they're welcome to as well cool and we'll we'll post links to that in the the show notes for this blog post or for this episode as well right and sarah france what's your tip um my tip is to put down your flash and start adding and using a little bit of video light and testing and trying that out, especially uh, for indoor and for just after the sun sets is a really great time to try some video light as well. So um, you can get video lights pretty inexpensively. You can get like a little Sony video light with a battery is only like $150. Or you can pick up a more expensive video light, like a Lowell iLight, and play with that it's you know a few hundred dollars in instead so both of those have become favorites of mine and i use them all the time so i I think it's a really great thing to get really soft beautiful light and to be able to see your light especially if you're learning it's really incredible because you can manipulate the light and see it and um and capture at the same time without having to make adjustments. It's really great for shooting on the fly too and um, not wanting to mess with your gear too much and just wanting to be able to shoot what you see. So cool. that would be my tip. I have to say that I, I coming from film and video uh, instead of from stills from a professional perspective, I'm, I don't I don't understand flashes at all. <laughs> <laughs> like they they like create just, light, Alex. That's what I know. Do. They just make me insane. Like <laughs> I can't I can't I can't figure it out. Like I just like all we have are like we have a whole bunch of light panels and one one by ones and little ones and big ones and we have you know other video lighting and stuff like that. But I just I can't I, I can't uh, I can't get my head around flashes. I'm just decided well, it's never going to happen. That's an interesting thing too, because I think the transition of having of doing video is a lot easier for me than it is for some photographers, just because I use video lights so much. And working with videographers, they love me as well because I'm using the same lights as they're using, and I'm I'm lighting the subject beautifully for them as well. So I think um, well, it, the it, it, marriage of those two is really nice. And I think LED has made a big difference. That's what I was going to say. It used to be the the limiting factor used to be that, you know, if you, especially if you're shooting a model or somebody, she's going to be covered in sweat by the time you got three or four shots off. <laughs> uh, but with, with LED lights, that's not, not what so you're going sweat. for? <laughs> well, the fence. I was going to say. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah Franz. Hey, you said, you said you that like it was right a bug. I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to keep it, keep it up to a certain level, and Sarah, you keep dragging me down. Thank you. <laughs> But right. no, the LEDs they're cool, right? So the only yeah. but the the other negative I think of of continuous lighting is blinding people because with a strobe, right. you know, it's like boom, it's off, you know, and they can get their retinas can get back to normal, but with the with the surface of the sun always on them, then they're going to be squinting and and small pupils and all that. So, hey Sarah, do you find the video lighting to be more interactive though when you're setting up your shots? I do. Flash. Well, I use it a lot for portraiture, you know, for shooting anything, anything. But we also use it like during the first dance and stuff like that. If there's a videographer there, they're already doing it. So we just mm-hmm. can use their light um, right. either as backlight or like in conjunction with ours. So um, 
I find that there's a lot of uses for it that people kind of shy, maybe shy away from or are nervous about. But um, and a lot of times the lighting, if you're lighting a couple while they're doing their first dance, like they probably don't have enough light on them anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's kind of like a nice feature that um, that people really enjoy. But there's definitely times when I don't use video light and I and I use flash. But you also have to be shooting with fast lenses. So yeah. um a lot of people will pick up a video light and not understand why it doesn't have enough light for but they're probably shooting like a twenty four to seventy and you know, not allowing for enough ambient light by using a prime fast lens. So um if you are gonna try, you know, using video light, I would say maybe pick up your, you know, fifty one four or one eight or Whatever it is that you have that's a that's a prime lens and try it with that first. Perfect. All right, Aaron Mailer, what is your tip? Um, mine's kind of a quick one. I just uh and this comes from things I mentioned in episode two hundred with uh with the trip I just came off of in the Pacific Northwest. Um w- even if you're out just shooting stills, it, take something with you that will allow you to capture uh, you know, other um audio mainly you know it mix the media i guess is what i'm coming down to um during this trip i i focused predominantly on stills i did shoot a lot of video but i spent a lot of time using a digital field recorder just recording ambient audio um and initially of course my intention was i wanted better audio for any video that i shot but it became very apparent as i was kind of planning this and then even more so when i was there that uh i was in like temperate rainforests and I, I cannot begin to tell you the amount of sound that's happening around you and the still images can be beautiful but they don't capture all of it i mean your senses are being hammered from every direction while you're in there and a major element of that is sound and my intention is to pair a lot of this ambient audio uh with still images and slideshow format and other ways that i'm going to be using them in the coming days uh, so uh, an inexpensive little digital field recorder like a Zoom H1, which is all of about $99, will record a tremendous quality um, at a tremendous quality with a, with an enormous, uh, you know, kind of a wide sound field, beautiful stereo separation. You know, bump it up a little H4N, about $249, and many other models that are out there too. But long story short, just uh, while you're out shooting, especially if you're somewhere that just has a lot of kind of sensory stimulation, Mix some audio in. And if you do that, you're also going to have better hardware available to you if you start getting into video more seriously. Because I haven't seen a camera yet that has inbuilt audio that's really any good for anything beyond reference. Right, right. Very good. All right, Alan. Aaron, thank you. All right, my my tip is on DIY photography. And uh, a, lot, a lot of you guys probably have seen this site. It's DIYphotography.net. And it's a site that's targeted at helping you not spend a lot of money on camera gear and build a lot of it and experiment. And, you know, Aaron, I know you're 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 you share the geek gene and wanting to put stuff together that I do. So this is a site that you will go into and probably never leave. So things like building light stands and experimenting with different techniques and all that kind of stuff, it's all in there. And it's a, it's a really good site that I would warn you if you go there, you're probably going to spend a lot of time in there. So go check it out. It's at diyphotography.net and it's a, it's an excellent resource. All right, we're at the point on the show where each each guest gives a pick of the week. And this can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's related to photography. And Alex Lindsay, I'm going to throw it to you first. Okay, so my, my pick of the week is Speed Rail. So um, if what you don't know that? what Speed... I know. So many of you uh, not in film uh, don't know anything about Speed Rail. Uh, I'm looking at a lot of it right now in my home office. Um, I have kind of like a little... Uh, Frederick, have you been up here? 
Have you yes. seen the, my my insanity? You um, mean the, the man cave? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I have. <laughs> so my my in my office I have a uh, this um, speed rail is basically it's like pipe. You know, it's it's basically aluminum piping. Uh, and but they cut. It has lots and lots of fixtures that are really built to make it easy to just kind of cobble things together. And in many ways, this is an adult uh, erector set. Um, and for film and uh, lighting and putting stuff together, it is just great. It's very very uh, strong. You can get it in a variety of different uh, uh, widths. I'm using uh, one and three quarter inch speed rail, which is very stiff. Um, uh, typically 1.5 or even one, uh, is also possible, but you've got all these, these, uh, also these companion, it's just a myriad of, uh, different solutions of crossbars and things that you can add. And then you can add on things that you would normally see with C stands and you can attach cameras and you can attach lights and you can attach other fixtures and pieces of, of other rigs. And, uh, I, you know, I don't, it's not something you, it's necessarily portable that you're going to take to an event. But if you're shooting a lot in a studio, um, having kind of a, a grid uh, that you can kind of attach things to uh, really saves you a lot of time. And, um, and, and I have to admit that I, uh, um, you know, I, I actually have, I know this is a little, we were talking about DIY and a little geeky, but, you know, I have a chop saw in my back, back behind my house. And, and I've just got about 120 feet of speed rail just sitting back there. And anytime I need, like, I need something to be kind of uh, overhead or, or some different angle that I'm looking for, I just go out there and you know, chop off some more speed rail and, and attach it. So um, uh, it's a, just a great little erector set to kind of put together complex um, rigs that you might need for uh, very creative photography. Uh, if, as I said, if you haven't, haven't played with speed rail or haven't seen it, um, it's just worth uh, some of you will uh, check it out and you'll immediately see what, what I'm talking about. So uh, anyway, check it out, speed rail. Speed rail. All right. Tristan Hall, what's your what's your pick? Um, <laughs> I had to pick one. Um, <laughs> I've got so much gear over the last little while that I've been testing. It's it's not even funny. Um, but it, it, the one that's intriguing me the most at the moment is the Orbis Ring Flash Adapter for your speed lights, um, and and that really has. Uh, it's got my interest. It's. I, I used to be a big fan of of the Gary Fong flash diffusers, um, but for more intimate portraits, kind of you know one on one portrait sessions, um, the the Orbis kind of really does a good job of giving uh, a good soft ring light effect, uh, which is quite quite fun to play with. I, I'm still early days of testing it, but uh, the stuff I've done with it so far has been fantastic. Awesome. What, what does it cost? Um. Good question. Because you got it for <laughs> testing. I need to <laughs> one need million to dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I need to double check. I, I, it's been a while since um, I, I first came across it when I was in um, at Fotokina, yeah. and um, I I must be honest, I haven't seen what the the latest pricing in that is on it. To be honest with you. Okay, we'll we'll put that in, um, we'll put that in the notes. So sorry, we'll it there. it's okay. And Sarah France, what's what's your pick? Um, my pick this week is a site that's a little bit of a guilty pleasure, and um, but it's also created a lot of inspiration. And it's called Pinterest. It's interest with a P at the beginning, Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a site that I've been telling everyone about. You have to be invited. Like basically you ask for an invite and about a week later you get or a few days later you get like an invite back. So um, go get your invites right now. But Basically, what it does is it pulls in a bunch of my friends from Facebook or whatever, and 
anytime you find something online, you can pin it to your pin board. So I have basically these virtual pin boards and I'll just give you an example of a few of them. Like for photography, I have ones that are um, photo like couples or maybe a female or a male. So anytime I see like a pose that I like or something that catches my eye, maybe it's lighting or posing or anything like that. I've got different pin boards for those specific things. And I'll go in and just, you know, um, grab some of those for inspiration before I shoot, uh, take a look at those. And, and it just gives me a place to put them. But I also use Pinterest for things like, um, I'm a girl. So uh, things like hairstyles that I like or um, stuff for inspiration for my house. Um, And the images and stuff that people are circulating on here are incredible. So I have friends who have incredible style as well. And they're on Pinterest finding things. And that shows up on my homepage of Pinterest. So you can always repin something from somebody's board to your own. And I think that's what makes it so powerful is that I'll just go through and see what my friends have been finding, um, places to visit, just incredible images that are out on the web that all of your friends are kind of putting into this place for you. Um, and it will suck you in. The minute I I um, introduced it to a few of my friends, they disappeared for hours. So <laughs> awesome. it is a really incredible site. If you don't know about it and haven't seen it, um, definitely I would say check out Pinterest for, you know, any kind of inspiration, but also just for kind of creating pin boards for your life. So that's cool. And that's just, that's interest with a P. So Pinterest, right? Yeah. Very cool. All right. Aaron Mailer, what's your pick? Uh, my pick is uh, actually a series and you can choose from a whole price range here in sizes. Um, I guess it's Giatos. Is Giato Giatos? Do you guys know whether it's actually said as if it's plural Giatos? We'll, we'll go with that. I'm not sure. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, <clears throat> they're a famous maker of, of uh, tripod heads, tripods, uh, similar equipment. Um, the MH1300 series of ball heads for tripods I've actually fallen in love with. Um, I'd been looking at them for quite a while. I took a much smaller, uh, lighter head with me on my trip, and a couple days in, immediately regretted not having purchased the more versatile, uh, more stable 1300 series head. So I actually had one shipped to me in the middle of the trip at, out to the... Uh, an Indian reservation I was on actually when I was up in La Push. Um, but uh, Amazon, you know, Amazon Prime is a wonderful thing. But anyway, uh, I went with a MH1301, uh, the 657, but they actually range from much smaller with all the same capabilities at a little under $100 up through this one, which is a little closer to about $200. Um, they are precision alum- uh, machined out of aluminum. They're relatively lightweight. There's no liquid or anything in the ball, so that helps with the weight. The locking on them is fantastic. Just, just the slightest little turn with your finger, and you can go from free motion to completely lock to the point that it holds a 5D Mark II with a battery grip and all the stuff on it at any angle with no shake whatsoever. Um, it's got a friction knob on it. It's got uh, you know degree markers on the base and everything. Just fantastic. I won't go into much detail. There'll be a link in the show notes, but definitely check out the range. The link I put in there is for the site itself, so you can see the whole range of them. Very cool. Perfect. All right. All right. And my pick is a workshop that I'm speaking at coming up in August. It'll be August 28th or 24th to 28th at the Hyatt Regency Resort and Spa in Maui. This is the Maui Photo Festival and we'll link to it. You can just jump to it from uh, thisweekinphoto.com slash Maui. That'll take you over to the page. 
but I will be doing some sessions both indoor and outdoor on the beach featuring models, Lightroom, and beaches. So uh, go check it out. It should be, uh, should be a good time. All nice. right. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited, you know, just to go to Maui and Sounds good. be a speaker and, you know, be a big shot and all that. But yeah, Twip listeners, if you want to come hang out with me, um I'll be there August 24th to 28th and we'll hang out, we'll do some photography, we'll drink some mai tais on the beach and talk about Nikon versus Canon. So come on out. And once again, we've come to the end of another fantastic This Week in Photo. So, uh Alex Lindsay, where can people go to find out more about you and your antics? Uh, probably the best place is uh, the Twitter's um, Alex Lindsay, all one word. You can also find my blog, which has occasional photos uh, that I post up there. I just posted some from um, Tanzania. Uh, and um, that's at Bordersac. That's bordersac.com. Bordersac.com. Tristan Hall, where can people go to find out about your photography and your Sony exploits and all the gear that that keeps showing up on your doorstep? <laughs> Um, Best is uh, on Twitter at at @photocomment. You can also find us on Facebook, uh, the photocomment Facebook page, or on photocomment.net. Perfect. Awesome. Sarah France, where are you at online? Um, SarahFrance.com, obviously. Uh, My blog is whereintheworldisfrance.com, and you can also go to uh, shop.sarahfrance.com to see video trainings. Very cool. That's new. Shop.sarahfrance.com? When did you launch that? (laughs) It's not that you knew. I just never really uh, talk about it. (laughs) Okay. And now you're like, oh, I I need to market this thing. I'm like, wait, I can actually say it online. That's a great idea. (laughs) Yeah. It's where I I put all the video trainings for the Aperture trainings and uh, anything else that I do. Very cool. And that's at shop.sarahfrance.com. Yeah. And Aaron Mailer, where are you at? Uh, you can certainly find me on Twitter where I talk about everything from technology to photography. Um, and I'm at Half Press, H-A-L-F-P-R-S-S. Also my blog, halfpress.com, which actually finally has some fresh new content on it for the first time in ages, uh, including uh, quite a few hundred new photos from my trip and kind of a travelogue-like write-up from various stages of it about the areas I was visiting. And if you just want to skip past the blog and go straight to my photos, you can always go to photos.halfpress.com. Very cool. All right, and if you'd like to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and more. And also, if you'd like to interact with us on thisweekinphoto.com via Facebook, at the bottom of every post is a Facebook comment field. So go ahead and uh, comment and give us your thoughts on what we talked about in the show or the contents of the post or give us ideas and all that stuff. We're now integrated with Facebook. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van or at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.